everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Millies, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one half of the show, my name's Jeff, the other half of the show joining us, as usual, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how you doing? Hey, Jeff, I, I appreciate you considering me half of the show. Uh, I'm really only 48 and three quarters. I did, I did this weird measuring thing. A long equation, never mind. Anyway. We round up here. Oh, okay, well that makes sense to me. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the show here. We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Let's get right into our BP. We want to make sure we're properly warm so we don't pull anything. Now, Mark, we recorded the show last week prior to the announcement of the Contemporary Committee, uh, their, their Hall of Fame vote last week. So we didn't get to talk about it last week. Now, we had a couple of weeks ago, we had done a show where we had basically done the math and we'd come up with two players that we were sure were going to be voted into the Hall of Fame. Mark, somehow, neither of those players were voted into the Hall of Fame. Imagine us uh, uh, being wrong. I mean, come on. Well, let's not say wrong. I don't, I don't want to go, go that far. But, uh, yeah, so Fred McGriff, obviously, it's no, no secret at this point. It's been a week, was voted in, which is great. We love Fred McGriff. Absolutely. I really did think that this might have been the year where steroid guys might have finally got in, but I was I was sorely mistaken as they did not even come close. No, they didn't, and they may never come close. I mean, you can't say we can't say fifty years from now, but right now people are still, you know, feel like they were fooled um, by the whole steroid thing, and, and I know some people who just don't want to come back to baseball because of it, which is unfortunate, but. Um, you know, it may be someday, maybe someday the stigma will wear off. I don't know. It's going to be soon. I'm telling you, it will be, it will be soon. We were wrong. We'll, we'll admit it, but <laughs> this is the thing. So, okay. He's Fred McGriff's going to go into the hall of fame. What hat is he going to wear in the hall of fame? Good question. I mean, you know, good career with Atlanta, great career with uh, the blue Jays and I don't know about the Padres, but I am going to put my vote in that he wears the Tom Amansky defensive drills hat in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) He may, you know, that's that's an important aspect of his career. He does a favor for Tom Amansky. Not only is he on the commercial for a decade. What if Tom Amansky's like, bro, if you're going into the hall, you got to wear this hat. (laughs) <laughs> it was in the original deal they signed. Yes. <laughs> well, I've, McGriff does not have a say in that. He can he can request, but the, the Hall of Fame has the ultimate say there. So we'll see what they come up with. Uh, I found something really cool. I, I'm, a, I'm subscribed to Stathead, which is a, I don't want to say it's subsidiary, but it's a, it's a subscription thing you can sign up for on Baseball Reference where you have access to a lot more stats and you can do a lot of cool things in here but one of the things you can do is you can actually uh, normalize stats for different player not for different players but for different eras for different stadiums and years and so forth so somebody actually went through and i hadn't thought of this but i'm glad somebody did they actually actualized they actually actualized they actualized lifetime stats for every player if they had played in Coors Field in the year 2000. That's brilliant. So 2000 was a year that the uh, the, the Coors Field, that's when it averaged its highest home field advantage. 
They started off just with season stats, individual season stats. Barry Bonds in 2001, had he played in uh, all of his games in, in Coors Field, would have hit 95 home runs. <laughs> wow. Uh, right after that, hot on his tail, though, with 87, is Mark McGuire from 1998, and get this, Josh Gibson from 1937. Oh, that's awesome. It's absolutely a possibility from what we know about Josh Gibson. Yeah, and so some other numbers here on base percentage. Barry Bonds, his 2004 season, would have had a 661 on base percentage. <laughs> that's, that is incredible. That's one of those things where I wanted to say, why pitch to him? But obviously they're not. So uh, your guy, Mule Suttles, would have hit, according to this, he would have hit 449 in 1926 <laughs> as well. <laughs> Followed closely by Rogers Hornsby with a 448. So <laughs> it's fun to just play around with. That is hilarious. All right. So they also can extrapolate this for career numbers. So if we're looking at like career home runs, if, if Henry Aaron would have played all his games in year 2000 Coors Field, he would have hit 1,014 home runs. That's, that's <laughs> I a don't lot. doubt it. That's I a lot of it. home runs. <laughs> uh, let's see if we if we go back to the old on base percentage, Ted Williams, if he would have played his career in, in Coors, would have had a 529 on base. Not <laughs> Not bad. RBIs, Henry Aaron again, 3,630 would have been our leader. But get this, he would have also, according to this, he would have ended up with 5,082 hits. Wow. So what's really weird about this is that uh, with this extrapolation, Pete Rose, not listed <laughs> Really? <laughs> He's not listed on the top hits. Ricky Henderson would be 11th all time with 4,190. That makes sense. So that's good. And his stolen base career total would have gone up to 1923. Nice. I guess because he's getting on more. Because with that right. big outfield, you're going to get a lot more bloopers and so forth. Makes sense, yeah. But I just thought that was fun. It's, it's a really cool. So it's five bucks a month. You can play around with stuff like this. Uh, it's a lot of fun. That's great. Uh, this is something, Mark, I did not know. We had talked about, first of all, baseball and war, essentially. And and we had heard the, the story about grenades being kind of shaped like baseball so that guys would know how to throw them. This is something that I did not know that in, supposedly changed the rules of the game of baseball thanks to World War II. This is what I read. Now, again, I'm, I just I read this on the Internet, so take it with a grain of salt. I didn't dive too much into it but it said that major league baseball that declared that in the event of an enemy bombing whoever was leading after five innings would automatically be the winner well that's something we don't think about these days no well no but i mean that leading after five innings is if the game gets called the the winner is declared by whoever is ahead that is apparently something born out of the fear of uh, being bombed no kidding. That's I never would have thought that. I just assumed that had always been around. Maybe yeah, we'll, we'll have to right. look, look into it and see if we get anything else. I just thought it was, you know, it's more than half the game. Yeah, I guess. But don't you want more than half? See, for me, it'd be like seven. Got to play seven. 
Uh, six and two thirds for me. Well, now let's let's think about it though. When when MLB shortened games of a doubleheader a couple of years ago for for the pandemic, they they didn't go five, right? They went seven, right? Because seven is a good chunk of the game, but it's not the whole game. It's hard with baseball because you could score thirteen runs in one half mm-hmm. inning. It's I not. can think of some Mariners games where I wish they'd only gone seven. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's not like a football game, right? I, I, right. Watched, I watched a football game today. Very weird. Testosterone's really high today. But uh, the 49ers blew out the the Bucks. The, uh, the Bucks. Is that how you? I know that's yeah. not what we call the Pirates. The Buccaneers. Yeah, the Bucks. It was like 35 to nothing in the third quarter. I mean, it was over. But you know, they still keep playing. But there was no chance that they were coming back. Right. No, with a clock. No, with baseball, you could still do it. Right, because baseball doesn't have a clock. It's probably, maybe. If not, it's a good story. That's true. <laughs> what the heck. Uh, <laughs> Mark, last week we made mention, we actually made fun about some players or the lack of players, baseball players, coming from New Hampshire. Yes. Yeah, well, of course, we got an email about it. So uh, one of our longtime listeners, Brian Krause, wanted us to know that Mike Lavalier and Steve Balboni uh, are from-ish New Hampshire. Now, he sent me these names and I looked it up. They were both, uh, at least uh, Steve Balboni was born in Massachusetts, but went to high school in New Hampshire. Ah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, probably the most notable player from New Hampshire is curmudgeonly Hall of Famer Carlton Fisk, but he was born in Vermont, but then went to high school in New Hampshire. So there, there seems to be a dearth of players from that were actually born in New Hampshire. I tell you what, man, that sounds like a recruiting thing to me. Well, so I looked it up. So Mike Flanagan is from New Hampshire. And he played for 18 years. Great career. Yeah. Chris Carpenter. I don't know which one. I'm not even going to try to pretend to know which one because we will get it wrong. New <laughs> Hampshire. Bob Tewksbury. A lot of pitchers. Pitcher yeah. heavy state. I loved Bob Tewksbury. Yeah, the Tuker. Uh, he's there. Sam Fold. There's a name. There's a contemporary mm-hmm. player. But also he is the uh, the GM of the Phillies right now, I think. So there's Sam Fold, uh, Phil Plantier. He went to, he's from New Hampshire. Uh, let's see, Kevin Romine. Yeah, he's uh, he's from there. I mean, there's there's not a lot of names here that are that impressive. I'm not going to lie. But I did want to just make sure we mentioned some guys from New Hampshire. That That's were right. Born there. All right, let's get into our trivia question before we get onto the main part of the show. Mark, last week I asked who was the heaviest player ever to steal a base in Major League Baseball. I thought this would be a little bit harder than it was. But uh, we got a couple of answers, a couple of normal names. Brian Krause, Andrew Harmer, Shane Swarznak, who again, I don't know. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Kim P. The, uh, well, do you, do you know? If you did you did your trip to Disneyland? Was there a kiosk there where you could ask baseball <laughs> yeah. questions? There was a kiosk, but they didn't know either. Oh, yeah, it was unfortunate. <laughs> ah, well, the answer that the, those four listeners got, which is correct, is Demetra Young, Demet Hook. Oh, really? Yeah, you don't think of somebody named Demet Hook as being particularly quick, right? But he had twenty-five career stolen bases. Really? Yeah, only caught 22. 
which I say only, that's not a great percentage, but it's not bad. Second on that list at 285 is Adam Dunn. Oh, wow. I didn't know Adam Dunn was that big. I Well, I knew he was that big. I didn't know he had 63 career stolen bases. That's crazy. Yeah, and he was only caught 25 times. Wow. Yeah. How much of that is surprise? That, that's impressive, though. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, Aaron Judge is fourth on this list. He is at 282. As he gets older... There's the possibility that he puts on a little little poundage and can yeah. pass Dimitri Young. He's got a lot of frame to put pounds onto. <laughs> yeah, well, and he's what he's in his twenties still, right? So he's got he's got some time to pack on some weight just oh, to break yeah. this record. That's all I'm looking That's for. It. He's looking to be the heaviest guy to steal a base. That's exactly. it. Exactly. That's all we're looking for. All right. So uh, I got a new question for everybody that uh, we will give the answer out on our next show. Mark, there are three teams who have never had an MVP. I mean, they have team MVPs, but you know what I mean, a league MVP. Two of <laughs> them are newer teams. It's the Rays and the D-backs. Mm-hmm. Haven't, had a, haven't had an MVP. Who's the other team that has never had a league MVP? That's a good question. Well, that's good because I've tried to come up with good questions. This one's doable. I mean, you just yeah. got to really think about it for a, for a good minute or two. Well, or you can one. eliminate like the Yankees. So the, I'm, I'm giving everybody a hint. Yes, you can eliminate the Yankees. And I will say this, Ricky Henderson was on the A's when he was the MVP. But there you go. Had MVPs before him, but just want to give my boy a shout out. All right. Oh, and you know what? I wanted to mention one thing before we get onto the main while we're still here in BP because I am now a month away from heading out to fantasy camp down in Phoenix. I I told everybody I was going to be working out. I wanted to be accountable. I've continued to work out for the past, boy, it's been like four or five months now. Mark, I have lost 20 pounds. Are you serious? Getting ready for fantasy camp. Wow. A lot of my clothes fit a lot better <laughs> and just fit, period. I feel much better. I'm eating better. And I just wanted to, I'm very proud of myself. So I just wanted to throw it out there that I have lost since this announcement back in the summer. I have lost 20 pounds and I am getting ready to head on out to, to fantasy camp. So and it's not like you were very all that big in the first place. It's all muscle now. Well, <laughs> I was the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. Nothing motivated me to lose weight, like having to spend a lot of money to go pretend to be a professional baseball player for a week. <laughs> yeah, you want you want to have these guys say, hey, nice. That was good. Let's pat you on the back. And right? not I get mean, hurt is- when they pat me on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I have this fear that I would approach it the opposite manner. I'd show up, everybody would have a bottle of water or Gatorade, and I'd have the Diet Dr. Pepper, you know. Well, I am aware that they do have coolers of beer in the dugouts during the games. So just <laughs> be aware that, that wow. all shapes and sizes come to fantasy camp, and it does not matter. You're there to have fun. Nobody's being competitive. You're just there to to do what you've always wanted to do, so. Don't let that discourage you or anybody else. How come we're not? I, I should be joining you and filming the entire thing. This would be a great documentary. Well, you know, the, the A's and the Mariners used to hold because Dave Henderson used to run both the A's and the Mariners fantasy camp. And they would hold them together and play games against each other. 
Right. That would have been that would have been something we could have done. That would have been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, no doubt. But uh, I'm actually, so I'm staying for a week after the camp ends. I'm going to go over because another one of our uh, podcast buddies is doing the Padres Fantasy Camp, which is the week after. So I'm going to go over and hang out for half a day there and watch them play some games and just see what goes on at Padres Fantasy Camp. Well, that's in a fantasy talk. Mark, let's get into the main bulk of our show, the main body of our show. I've got a subject today. I, I don't know that I had heard about this guy before, but I was reading, I was actually reading up on Candy Cummings, who is largely considered to be the grandfather of curveballs. And this name, this name came up, Toad Ramsey, which Toad, Toad Ramsey. Yeah. Okay. I read up a little bit about him and this guy is prime subject matter for us so nice so here we go so first of all one thing we've learned during this run of this podcast which this is show 194 so we've done a couple of these is that players in the 1800s and early 1900s they had two surefire ways to be legendary on the baseball diamond one be a drunk Not just, it's not just, I have an occasional seven or eight drinks with the boys every day kind of drunk. Spend more of the day drunk and hung over most of the next day until you start drinking again, kind of lush. That's one way, right? Right. The second is to grow up on a farm, get too close to some farm machinery and get maimed permanently, possibly (laughs) life-threatening, and bang, you're in the big leagues in a century later, two-strike noise is talking about you. That is, uh, I remember seeing that somewhere, that that was one of the ways, surefire ways, yeah. Well, thus enter this week's subject, Thomas Toad Ramsey, who you will see checks all these boxes. So only, <laughs> his, <laughs> only his mother called him Thomas. Everybody else called him Toad. Why Toad? I do not know. Every article I read said they had no real idea about how this nickname came about. Some say it was a play on his name, Thomas. Thomas, Toad, kind of close. Um, it's not as bad as being called Ugly Dick Shot, though. No. No, agreed. <laughs> it's it's not flattering still, but it's not as bad as, as that. One article actually called Thomas Portly, which is kind of rude. But uh, seeing the few pictures I did see of him, he did have some, some cheeks on him. And... <laughs> I think this is where it came from because, you know, frogs kind of have big cheeks and then they shoot their tongue out and it kind of that's what it reminded me of. So first things first, Toad was born in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1864, and he grew up in the area. His father was a bricklayer, thus meaning that there should have been no farm machinery laying around for young Thomas to forever maim himself on. Right. Well, you'd be right in thinking that. Thomas's father decided that Thomas was going to be a bricklayer like him. But while learning the trade as a young man, Tommy severed the tendon in his index finger on his pitching hand with a trowel. Thus the disfigurement. So Thomas was a pitcher, so undoubtedly this is not going to help him. At least that's what you that's what you would think, right? But we know better. Now, the one thing I did not find while researching Toad Ramsey was an actual picture of his pitching hand. You throw uh, Mordecai three finger Brown in the old Google 
internet and look him up and you're going to find pictures of his hand. You're going to find more pictures of his hand than you're going to of his head. Thomas didn't actually lose a finger or anything like that, but the severed tendon did mean that he could not straighten his index finger on his pitching hand the whole way. So when he pitched, he would only have the tip of his finger on the ball. Now, there are differing opinions, but many said that this is considered the first knuckleball to be thrown in baseball, though actually it would probably be closer to a knuckle curve at this point. But if, you know, we always have to assign the grandfather title to something, he could be considered the grandfather of the knuckleball. Okay. At this point in baseball, there were really only two pitches. There was a fastball and a drop ball, which was an early variation of a curveball. Thomas threw his versions of these pitches a little bit differently because of his grip, and they did things nobody had seen before. Early in his career while playing for the Chattanooga Lookouts, the Chattanooga Daily Times said he fired his drop ball, quote, as if he were a wizard and his arm were the wand, end of quote. Wow. So a little Harry Potter action there in Chattanooga. In 1885, Toad ended up in Louisville playing for our beloved Louisville Colonels. The word that, again, sounds like it should have an R in it, but it does not. I say our beloved Colonels because the team also included not only outfielder Chicken Wolf, but also the original Louisville slugger, the gladiator himself, Pietro Gladiator Red Light Distillery Browning, Pete Browning. <laughs> we just mentioned these guys last week too. I mean, they're they're pretty firmly entrenched in our show. I think the, the, the Louisville Colonels. So I mentioned uh, at the at the open here that being a drunk is a good way to get into the higher echelons of of baseball. It certainly helps. Yeah. Well, uh, good old Toad here did his best. Besides being maimed, he could he could put down some alcohol. So you can imagine that with uh, Pete Browning and Toad Ramsey on the same team, that those two spent some nights and subsequent mornings bending an elbow at the local watering hole. Ooh, wow. Well, the Colonel's ace, Guy Hecker, had a sore arm and they needed another pitcher to, to finish the season. That's how Toad ended up in the, uh, in, in the uh, Colonel's uniform for the end of the season. The Colonels were on a month-long road trip to end the season. Now, I don't know. Maybe U2 was playing at their home stadium, so they had to hit the road for September. Maybe the inflatable ceiling of their stadium had collapsed. I don't know. Those are the those are the things I know why people spend a month on the road. Yeah, there's also a, yeah, ceiling tiles. Ceiling tiles, yes, definitely. <laughs> Well, the team was not great, but Toad pitched well. The season ended. The uh, The teams at this point, they continued playing exhibition games just to make money. So the Colonels headed back home, and the hometown fans got their first look at Toad in person. That was on October 11th against Nashville of the Southern League. Ramsey tossed a 15-strikeout no-hitter in a 19-0 win. The fans, you can imagine, were pretty jazzed about this. And uh, they had another game coming up in a couple of games. Toad was scheduled to pitch for that. It was against the St. Louis Maroons. So the stadium's packed because everybody wants to see this new guy. Threw a no-hitter, struck out 15. First pitch is scheduled for 3 o'clock. So 3 o'clock comes around, sold-out stadium. Everybody's kind of hanging out. They can't really start the game because Ramsey is not there. Can't find him anywhere. He's not at the stadium. So... They wait about a half hour, about 3.30. They say, all right, well, we got to get started. 
put the first baseman. He's uh, he's going to pitch to start the game. So they start the game. Finally, we get around the second inning. Who comes strolling into the dugout? None other than Toad Ramsey. Despite being late and being obviously drunk, they put him in. They're like, get out there. <laughs> the local paper described the outing like this. Quote, he walked unsteadily into the box. Because remember, they pitched from a box, not a mound at this point. And with a kind of dazed air, tossed the first batter seven balls in succession, none of which came within a yard of the plate. <laughs> not, and remember, it took seven balls to walk. You had to really work to walk somebody at this point. But he yes. did it pretty easily. All right, so uh, fast forward to the start of next year, his first full season with the Colonels. Toad went 37-27 and 27 with a 2.45 ERA. He threw 588 and two-thirds innings. And he, <laughs> he struck out 499 guys. <laughs> That's a lot. I, I mean, he, he did also walk 207. But again, 499, that's a lot to strike out. Now, remember, also at this time, as well as seven balls to walk somebody, you had to get four strikes to punch somebody out at this point. So to strike out that many batters and having to get four strikes, that is very impressive. An interesting number to look at here is also the runs that Toad gave up. 297 runs credited to Toad, only 160 of them were earned. The defense behind him was awful, and Toad definitely took notice of it. He often commented that he actually tried to strike every single batter out because he couldn't trust even the best fielders to make an out, so he wanted to do it himself. It should be noted that Toad was also an awful fielder. He always led pitchers in errors committed. Being drunk didn't help. Uh, no, I'm, well, when you've got two balls or three balls coming at you, you got to pick the right one. Right. And then you're throwing to three different first basemen. It, it's not easy. Besides the walks, there were a lot of pass balls, a lot of wild pitches. Now, obviously, guys weren't getting behind home plate in the 1880s with the catcher's gear we know today. Even with that gear, though, today, you know, it's hard to catch a pitch like a knuckleball. Bob Euchre is famous for saying his strategy for catching knuckleballs was to wait for it to stop rolling, then go pick it up. Right. So thus started something new in Louisville that is still used today when there is an actual knuckleballer in the league. Toad had a personal catcher. John Karens was the only guy that could really handle Toad's pitches. So he was kind of Toad's valet, his personal catcher. His second full season with uh, the Colonels, just as impressive. He went 37 and 27, almost the exact same record. His ERA was up a little, 3.43, and he did lead the league in Ks with 355. Another good year. Yeah, another really good year. But, I mean, this Curls team must have been something. You've got Browning, as we discussed when we, when we did our episode on him, he hated the press and sometimes seemed more interested in fighting with them than playing baseball. The team's ace that I mentioned, Guy Hecker, did not like Toad at all because now he was on the team challenging him for that top spot in the rotation. A rotation, mind you, that had two pitchers in it. That was <laughs> it. They were the two starters. They were the only two starters. You never knew who out of that starting nine in the, for this Colonels team was going to show up or better yet, show up sober and ready to play baseball. Speaking of not showing up, uh, another time, Ramsey, who had tabs open at bars across Louisville, 
that were unpaid. He, he just didn't pay his tabs. He was actually arrested and thrown into jail, keeping him from playing because several of these bars had just had enough and said, hey, this guy owes us money. Toad played five years with Louisville, battling sobriety the entire time. Last week, we talked about the 1988 Orioles and their 0-21 start. Well, I mentioned the Colonels and their 1889 season, where they went 27-1-11-2. Well, Hmm. Toad did his part for that team. Before being traded to the Browns midway through that horrible season, Toad went 1-16 for the Colonels with a 5.59 ERA. I'm going to guess he wasn't sober most of that year. Wow. Just, Just a guess. Toad spent only one more season, one full season in St. Louis, putting up some good numbers. He went 23 and 17. He struck out 257 in 348 innings, but that was it for the big leagues for Toad. At age 25, he was done. Wow. There are varying rumors as to why nobody else wanted this guy. One prevalent theory is that he was blacklisted because of his drinking. I mean, in this day and age, there would have been still people taking flyers on him because when... Yeah. When he could pitch, he was incredible, but it just seems like he might have been drunk more often than he was. Toe played for many years in smaller independent leagues around the country, always waiting for that call to get back in the big leagues, but it never came. He eventually returned to Indianapolis, where he tended bar for his brother, William, which seems a little dangerous to me, given his propensity to drink. (laughs) Yes. But nonetheless, Toad uh, passed away from pneumonia, in 1906 at the age of 41. Ramsey left a legacy on the mound, throwing, as I said, what some consider the first knuckleball. Ramsey's drinking, likewise, left a legacy. The Toad Ramsey cocktail. Get this. A pint of whiskey poured into a pitcher of beer. It's like a jumbo, supersized boiler maker. Toad was said to have consumed somewhere around three of these a night at his uh, at his peak that's all i mean a pint that's that's a a beer glass of whiskey just dropped into a pitcher of beer Uh, so before we finish with toad i want to recount the best story that i found about him there is no date on this so i didn't know exactly where to put it so we're just gonna stick it here at the end This took place in Louisville, so that gives us a little bit of a time frame, but Ramsey was offered $100 to pitch in a semi-pro game. It's a lot of money in the 1880s, but Ramsey said, I don't want to, no. Instead, what I want is I want $5 for every batter I strike out. Give me five. Ramsey went eight innings and had 24 strikeouts. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But there was a little bit of controversy surrounding this. Uh, When it came to settling up, Ramsey did not get all his money. He questioned, well, why not? Well, apparently throughout the game, Ramsey would call for pop-ups in the infield and then let them drop, ensuring that no out was recorded unless it was via a strikeout. Oh, Oh my gosh. Finally, the two sides settled on $50, a week's board, and what I can only assume is an old-timey way of saying all the beer he could drink. He was given, quote, all the foam he could blow, end quote. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's right, though. That's all you can drink beer? It makes sense. Yeah. You're the head of the beer. But yeah. There you go. Toad Ramsey. We're going to call him the grandfather of the, uh, of the knuckleball. There you go. That's good stuff. 
All right, so enough Toad Ramsey. Mark, it is time to head into the final segment of the show. It is time to head into everybody's cardboard-based uh, baseball card game show, if you will. It is time for Wax Packs Heroes. Hit that thing. All right, Mark, looking at the scoreboard, we are evened up at 13 apiece. Yes, you're playing some some good wax packs this year. Yeah, so it's like the best of 13 to decide a winner. <laughs> right. You know, knowing my luck, you're just going to win the next seven in a row. But uh, it is time to uh, open up a couple of uh, vintage. In this case, they are actual wax packs. Uh, this week, we are going to be opening up some 1990 Donruss. Some uh, some beauties here. We are going to, uh, if, you, if you're new here, I'll tell you how we do this, just so you're not lost. Uh, since these are from 1990, we're going to look at these cards. We are going to total the uh, 1990 baseball reference war for each of them. Uh, beyond that, a couple of other things that can add to the score. Anything on the player's face. That means glasses, flip-down sunglasses, mustaches, eye black. Uh, Brady Anderson-esque sideburns have been working their way in there. Uh, anything like that, you're going to get an extra tenth of point of war. If the player is wearing real stirrups where we can see actual sanitary socks, that's an extra tenth of a point. But we're going to take away a tenth of a point if they're two and ones because that's lazy. If they've got sweatbands with their jersey number or a caricature, a.k.a. Mims bands on them, that's an extra tenth of a point. Any of their final three seasons, they uh, went to purgatory and played for the Mariners at this point. That's an extra tenth of a point for each season. Two flaps or no flaps on the batting helmet is an extra tenth of a point. Batting without batting glove, likewise. Any awards they won that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, all that, a whole half a point award each. If there is a Hall of Famer on the card, whether we're focusing on them or not, that's an extra point. If Ricky Henderson is on a card for either Mark or myself, I'm going to get five points for that. But if Nolan Ryan is, uh, Mark's going to get the five points. And we are also going to each pick a team. And uh, just like the Nolan Ryan, Ricky Henderson thing, if uh, my team comes up, I'm going to get an extra half a point. If Mark's team comes up, he's going to get an extra half a point. So, Mark, who are you choosing this week? Going West Coast. We're going San Diego Padres. All right. You're going with the Dads. Uh, I'm going to go with the Colonel. Oh, I can't go with the Colonels, can I? Shoot. No. All right. Well, I'm going to go with, well, I'm going to stick in Southern uh, California. I'm going to go with the Angels. Ooh. I don't think, I don't, I don't know if either of us has ever actually chosen the Angels before. <laughs> Not have. <laughs> All right. So, Mark, I got these two packs, one in my left hand, one in my right. Which one would you like? I'm going to go because I think Wright's been winning. So I'm going to go with the left, of course. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to have you go first because that's what I like to do. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, play a little Wax Tax Heroes. Uh, remember, uh, betting is uh, allowed. Just, uh, you know, keep it under your under your hats. Uh, don't let anybody know about it. You, uh, so we're going to lose a couple of cards here to uh, get this uh, moving along. Do you want to lose them from the top or the bottom? I'm going to go with the bottom. That's good, because one of my favorite pitchers is on top. All right, so let's see. Uh, any big names that you are losing? Uh, Steve Bedrosian. Ooh, Michael Greenwell. That one might hurt. Uh, a young Jay Bell, Phil Bradley, and Mike Smithson. So, you know, not too bad. I, the Greenwell might hurt you, but 
Yeah. All right. So your first player is uh, my favorite relief pitcher of all time. I think I've I've mentioned this before. Do you remember who that is? I I probably have it somewhere in the back of my head that it's not Dennis Eckersley. No, it is not. It is Gino Gene Nelson. There. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and good news for you is he always has a two tenths of a of a tenth two tenths of a point mustache going on at all times. Uh, let's see, Gino, thirteen years in the big leagues, came up with the Yankees in '81 before going to Seattle. Uh, unfortunately for you, did not finish in Seattle. 1990, he was in Oakland. Oh, wow. Good season, as always. 3-3 three and three out of the bullpen. 51 games, a 1.57 ERA. 74 innings pitched, 38 strikeouts. He didn't strike out a lot of guys. He just got guys out. And uh, that equals an ERA plus of 236. Ow! Jeez. 74 and two-thirds innings. He gave up 13 earned runs. <laughs> That's a nice season. That is a good, good season. Uh, that will get you a 2.3 on the war scale, plus the two-tenths of a point mustache is going to start you off at 2.5 right out of the gate. Beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. All right, next. Oh, boy, good for you. One of your favorite players of all time. Shortstop for the Seattle Mariners, Omar Vizquel. Oh, I see. You were being sarcastic. Okay. Omar Vizquel, uh, kind of on the no-talk list, so we'll go through this quickly. Uh, Little O did not finish up with the Mariners, despite the fact he played five years there. Actually played much longer in Cleveland than anywhere else. He played 11 years in Cleveland. Didn't realize it was that long. Uh, Let's see, in 1990, his second year in the big leagues, though, it was with Seattle, 81 games, all of them at short. He hit 247, 295 on base, two home runs, uh, not a whole lot of power, as you can expect out of uh, Omar. A 67 OPS plus, and that will equal a war of 1.5, and he's got some eye black on, so that'll be a 1.6. I mean, so far after two cards, you're at 4.1. You can't really... Yeah, you, you left our part of Vizquel's nickname, though. It's a little low for four. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Uh, he is on the currently on the Do Not Talk About list, though, so we move on to your next player, who is a pitcher with sad eyes for the Chicago White Sox, Steve Rosenberg. He does. He's got sad eyes. I believe you. I just don't remember. Maybe he's got sad eyes because you don't remember him. <laughs> That's, he was looking, he's very sad. He's looking into the future. Oh, and now this is interesting. The, uh, the picture, the headshot here of Steve Rosenberg on baseball reference is from the card I am looking at and holding in my hand here. Weird. So if you want to see his sad eyes, just go ahead and look up Steve Rosenberg and baseball reference. Uh, I'm going to guess that somebody at some point in his career called him Rosie. So we are too. Rosie, four years in the big leagues. Well, you're very lucky you didn't pick his 89 uh, season where he went four and 13. But in 1990 with the White Sox, he appeared in six games, uh, had a one and oh mark, only 10 innings and uh, four strikeouts for a 74 ERA plus, And that equals a minus point one. And I don't think I can give you a tenth of a point for the sad eyes, despite the fact they are on his face. <laughs> I wouldn't expect so. No, <laughs> that would that would open up the whole new can of worms if we were to points for sad eyes we're trying to to decipher emotion yes (laughs) (laughs) all right uh so you're at four even your next card is a dh 
for the Rangers. Some really good real stirrups going on here, though. If I could give two-tenths of a point for stirrups, uh, Rick Leach here would get it. Right on. Way to wear the stirrups, Rick. All right. So uh, Rick Leach, uh, I'm guessing somebody at some point in his uh, playing days called him Leachy. I don't know, but we're going to. We're going to call him Leachy as well. Uh, <laughs> 10 years in the big leagues. Good for him. He got that card. He got that golden ticket where you can get in any game. 10 years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see. Most of them with Toronto. Five with Toronto. He ended up in San Francisco for his final uh, year in 1990. He played 78 games. Played the corner outfields, first base, and DH. He hit 293, a 373 on base. These aren't bad numbers. Only two home runs, though. 16 RBI and a 118 OPS+. plus. That is still good for a .7 war, plus the stirrups will be a .8. Very nice. Not really big names, but you're you're doing okay here. Uh, apparently, yeah. Rick Leach got into a game in 1984 uh, and pitched f- for an inning. Well, he was a, a quarterback. In fact, he finished third in the voting for the Heisman Trophy. Oh, uh-huh. what year and where did he go to school? Uh, 1978, and he went to the University of Michigan. Uh, roll Big Blue. I know that's not what it is. I just wanted to get some people <laughs> upset. <laughs> I almost said roll tide to really get some people oh, up. Wow. But, well, he was a better quarterback than he was a pitcher. I'll say that. In in one inning, he gave up three runs. And one of them was a home run. Well, now that's impressive. He gave up a home run because if you've got a position player pitching, normally they're not throwing it up there very fast, so it's harder to hit a home run. That's true. Physics, the laws of physics say so. Wow, he's got two wikipedia page i guess one's probably for football for when he was at michigan state i'm just trying to say now i'm just trolling (laughs) all right so you're at 4.8 your next card is a catcher that did not like ricky henderson very much and the good you're gonna get some good points here uh one because he's got a mustache two because he's got real stirrups on and three because he's wearing a batting helmet with uh with no flaps on at all Oh, nice. And he's only wearing one batting glove. Like, that's that's five points. <laughs> Isn't that? One, two, three, four. I went, okay, see, I went to Washington. University of Washington. That's why my bat, see. You're such a liar. All right, so let's see Ernie Witt. Ernie Witt said some swear words at Ricky Henderson uh, at one point. I'm not going to repeat because we're a family-friendly show. But uh, 15 years in the big leagues for Ernie Witt. Most of it with Toronto. 12, in fact, with Toronto. 1990, he was with Atlanta. I think I vaguely remember that, seeing him in Atlanta. Let's see. 67 games, a 172 average, 265 on base, two home runs, 10 RBIs, and a 40 OPS plus. And that is a minus 1.2, 1.2, so it's a good thing you had some, at least a positive point four out of the uh, yeah. the other stuff there. But this is, this is a good card. I mean, this is an old-school card right here. Sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a catcher, so he is old-school. Ernie Witt, by the way, uh, the manager of the Canadian National Baseball Team. Oh, currently? Currently. Oh, good for him. I think, yeah, I for some reason, I, I feel like we've we've said that. We've probably, we've probably pulled this card before, but that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, he wrote an autobiography, apparently while he was still playing, where he called umpire Joe Brinkman incompetent. Wow. That's probably something you want to do after you've retired. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I wouldn't go babbling about uh, how about umpires like that, especially if you're a pitcher. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So apparently, also he uh, was a part owner of Mother's Pizza, which was a chain in Southern Ontario, <laughs> and he would frequently appear and sign autographs. Uh, there was an Ernie Witt special on the menu, but there is no uh, what's on it. What what is what makes it an Ernie Witt special? Uh, they don't tell us. No, but it does. It does say it went bankrupt in 1992. Oh bummer! All right, so you're at uh, you're at four even now. Next, you've got El Presidente with the Expos, Denny wow. Martinez. Very nice. Always a, always a fan of Denny Martinez. One heck of a pitcher. Has a perfect game to his name. Let's see, 23 years pitching in the big leagues. Pretty wow. good. 11 with Baltimore, who he came up with, and then 8 with Montreal, and then some more scattered about there, including his second to last year with the Mariners. So that'll help you out, along yeah. with his mustache. <laughs> yeah, always had a good one. Uh, good news for you. Also, in 1990 with Montreal, he was an all-star. He oh, went beautiful. 10 and 11, 2.95 ERA, 226 innings pitched, 156 strikeouts, a 124 ERA plus, and that will equal a war of 4.7. Wow. Very nice. Wow. Then he could, then he could toss a baseball. Yeah. So that'll bring you up to 5.4 on that card and more than double your score just with, just with Denny. Uh, Let's see, won a World Series in 83 with Baltimore, though he did not play in the playoffs there. I don't know if he still is, but at one point he did manage the Nicaraguan national baseball team. That's the theme to this pack. (laughs) Nice job. Yeah, we we figured it out. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, so apparently, I did not know this. Denny apparently also had uh, quite a struggle with alcohol, but it looks like he kicked the habit. Pretty early in his career and went on to obviously have a very good career. Yeah, good for him. So it was 1991 when Denny Martinez threw his perfect game against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm pretty sure that was in Dodger Stadium, too. I think it was. All right. So uh, you have got two cards left, or I'm sorry, three cards left here at 9.4. Next, we have got Bay Area native Willie McGee. E.T. A nickname that Willie McGee does not care for. I can't imagine why. Yeah, that's not a great nickname. Uh, let's see. Willie McGee, 18 years in the big leagues, 13 with the St. Louis Cardinals, who he came up with, and he also ended his career with them, four years with the Giants, and then part of a season with Boston, or no, full season with Boston, part of a season with the A's in 90. So in 1990, of course, the Cardinals uh, at the deadline sent McGee to the A's where he... Ended up winning the National League batting title as a member of the Oakland Athletics. Overall, he hit 324 for the year, three home runs, 77 RBI, 31 stolen bases, a 373 on base, and a 120 OPS plus. And all of that will equal a war of 5.3. Wow. Wow, big year for <laughs> Willie. That is. Plus, he's got a mustache as usual, so that'll be a 5.4 and bump you up to 14.8. You started off a little slow, but wow, you've uh, you've really got uh, got some good cards here. All right, uh, your second to last, your penultimate card is a rated rookie. Ooh. From the Blue Jays, it is Alex Sanchez. 
I had most, I must've had 500 of that guy's rookie cards. Well, now you have 501 cause I'm going to set this one aside for you. <laughs> Thanks. So that you uh, will always have uh, that. Lucky me. All right. Let's see. Uh, Sanchez played one year, four games in the big leagues. Wow. And that was in 1989. He uh, went 0-1, 10.03 ERA, 11 and two-thirds innings. Uh, not good. He walked 14 in those 11 and two-thirds innings and struck out four and uh, did not get another chance in uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, let's see. So that was in 1989. He was still playing in 1998. Wow. Just That's kept, knocking around for a long time. Yeah. He, he kicked around the minors a lot. He also went and played uh, in Taiwan for, uh, for one season. But... Man, that is, uh, I mean, let's, let's not lie. You and I would do that too. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I imagine I would. Yeah, you as just don't want to give it up. As long as somebody's paying you to play, you're definitely yeah. going to do that. But an interesting thing, uh, Alex was uh, born in Concord, California, and he went to Antioch High School and inducted into the Antioch High School Sports Hall of Fame in 2010. This is our first card we've ever pulled that had a Hall of Famer from the Antioch High School Hall of Fame. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I Antioch's probably about a half hour drive from my house. I might need go. to go see this Hall of Fame. Yes. Go, go check it out. Might do that. All right. Oh, gosh. Your final card. Now, this is, this is not rigged in any way, shape, or form. Your final card is a pitcher for the Texas Rangers. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, boy, as if you weren't already having a, a good enough round here, your final card is Nolan Ryan. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, wow. All right. So you, you know off the top you're going to get the Hall of Fame and you're going to get the Nolan Ryan bonus. So that's six points before we even look at any of his numbers from 1990. <sighs> Good start. Not cool. All I right, guarantee Venti you he didn't finish his career with the Mariners. No, he didn't. Well, he, in it was Seattle. At, it was in the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. In 1990, 13-9 with a 3.44 ERA, 30 starts, 204 innings. He struck out a league-leading 232 and uh, had a 114 ERA+. plus. And that is going to equal a 3.5 war plus your six bonus points. That'll be a 9.5. That's a, that's a pretty decent card right there. Yeah. Wow. That'll take you up to 24.3. I mean, if I get a Ricky card from this year, I'm going to get MVP numbers too. Yeah. But what are, what are the chances of that? That was uh, that was crazy funny. Wow. All right. So 24.3. I'm going to really need to step up my game here. I'm going to I'm going to lose the bottom cards like you did and hope that Ricky Henderson is like the last one. <laughs> All right. So who am I going to lose? I'm going to lose Kevin Bass. I mean, I'm going to lose that mustache. Hubie Brooks, uh, Mike McFarland, Kirby Puckett and Dennis Eckersley. Uh oh. Oh, no. Jeez. Those are two Hall of Famers that probably oh. had some good years in 1990. I know Eck did. Yikes. I'm sure Kirby did. All right. Let's get on with the massacre. All right. So starting off, uh, I have got a catcher for the Giants who is wearing real stirrups, no batting gloves, glasses. 
So that's good. It's Terry Kennedy. Very nice. How about Terry Dead Kennedys? Is that? I'm a Dead Kennedys fan personally. Let's see here. Uh, Terry Kennedy, 14 years in the big leagues, six of it with the Padres, three with the Giants, three with the Cardinals, two with the Orioles. In 1990, it was the second to last year in the league. 107 games. He hit 277, a 342 on base, two home runs, 26 RBI, and a 100 even OPS plus, and that will get me a 1.5, which is not too bad. Plus, I get the bonus for the stirrups, the batting gloves, and the glasses. So that'll be a 1.8, which I think is higher than your first card. So I am on pace to upset yep, you. Just, you just need that nine pointer. First overall draft pick of the Cardinals in 1977. I was also traded for Storm Davis at one point. Also traded for Raleigh Fingers at one point, and also traded for Bob Melvin at one point. My goodness. There's some names. Uh, the son of Bob Kennedy as well. Bobby Kennedy was an uh, outfielder in the 40s and 50s. He played 16 years in the big leagues. Interesting. Terry and his father, Bob, as he said, became the first father and son duo to drive in World Series runs. And it was after Terry drove in a couple of runs for the Tigers in 84. Hmm. All right. So I'm at uh, 1.8 after my first card. My second card is outfielder for the Guardians, Dave Clark, a.k.a. Clarky. Now, I'm not even making that one up. This It says right here, nicknamed Clarky. Clarky. So, it's just lazy. Uh, let's see. Clarky, 13 years in the big leagues, five with Pittsburgh, four with Cleveland, then a bunch of other teams. In 1990, he was uh, spent a single season with the Cubs that year, apparently. 84 games as the left fielder, hit 275, five home runs, 20 RBI, seven stolen bases. I like that. And an 89 OPS plus, And that will equal a war of minus 0.4. I don't like that. He's got eye black on, so it'll only be a minus 0.3. I, I imagine, you know, I would think with the nickname Clarky, when he was with the Cubs, he could have gotten some endorsement deals. But that's just me. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, he was actually interim manager for my Astros uh, for, I believe, 13 games. When was that? 2009. Well, he was a first round draft pick in 83 by Cleveland. Another first rounder. Yeah. A lot of, uh, we already had that. We already had that. Uh, I think we've mentioned this before, right? His brother, Lewis, was a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. That's right. Yes. Lewis Clark. Yeah, as well as a big fan of, um, you know, scouting the Northwest, like Lewis and Clark. Oh, that did not work. All right. Next, I have got a uh, shortstop for Atlanta. It's Andres Thomas. Oh, wow. Andres Thomas. I totally forgot about him. Sorry, Andres. Uh, let's see, uh, Andres, six years in the big leagues, all of it with Atlanta, 1985 through 1990 was his last year, 84 games, he uh, appeared on the left side of the infield where he hit 219, a 248 on base, this is not, not looking good for me, uh, five home runs, 30 RBI, and 48 OPS plus, and a war of minus 1.8. Ouch. Which... <laughs> That'll put me in the negative for my totals. Ouch. This is this is kind of uh, what I expect most of the time. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. Uh, let's see. A free swinger prompted then Braves, uh, 
prompted then Atlanta broadcaster Don Sutton to ask hypothetically, why would you ever throw him a strike? <laughs> so let, let get this. Okay. Free swinger, low batting average, low on base, erratic fielder, leading all shortstops with 29 errors in 1988. What, what did he do? <laughs> oh, how, did, how did he? Re- I mean, I guess we're talking about the, the mid 80s Atlanta. I mean, I guess it was the best they could do. Wow. All right, moving on. I am at minus 0.3 now. Uh, Next, I got a picture for the Royals, Mark Gubiza. Gubiza. Mark Gubiza. Do I get points for uh, having a player whose last name has a C and a Z next to it? Only with, if it's Painter Paul Cezanne. Yeah. Wow, just, where did just that missed. come from? Just missed. I don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to spell his last name. So, uh, Goobs, I'm giving him that nickname because I know that was his nickname. Let's see. Uh, pitched 14 years in the big leagues, the first 13 of which were with the Royals, and then in 1997, he finished up with the Angels. In 1990, it uh, looks like he was hurt most of the year. He went 4-7 and seven with a 4.5 ERA in 16 games, 94 innings, 71 strikeouts, and an 86 ERA plus, and that will equal a war of 1.2. Hey, positive. And he's got real stirrups on, so that'll be a, a 1.3. That's parade-worthy at this point for me. It gets me in the positive as well. At the time of his retirement, Gubiza held Royals franchise records for strikeouts, third in wins, and second with wins above replacement with 38.0. It's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> Except he, it wasn't the year that you had him. No, you know. no. No. Can I do his career numbers instead? <laughs> Let me think about it. No. No. All right. Oh, well, he met his wife at uh, the uh, the wedding of Brett Saberhagen. Oh, interesting. I wonder, do you think Brett Saberhagen rapped uh, on his, uh, at his wedding ceremony? He rapped his vows. That's what I, oh, he was good. He was really oh, good. Oh, yeah. Then they probably drove off in that, uh, that MVP model Ford uh, pickup truck. With the That's cans right. tied to the back. That's I'm just right. speculating, but it's pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure it happened. All right. So I'm at one even. Uh, this is, I got big money coming here. Uh, I've got pitcher for the Blue Jays, Xavier Hernandez. The X-Man. Pretty much anybody whose first name is Xavier, you're going to call the X-Man, right? Oh, absolutely. Let's see. Xavier uh, actually pitched for 10 years in the big league. So he got that golden ticket. Five with Houston. And then uh, shorter since with a bunch of other teams. In let's see, came up with Toronto in '89, but 1990 with Houston, he went two and one with a 4.62 ERA, 62 innings pitched, 24 strikeouts, and 81 ERA plus, and an ERA or and a WAR of minus 0.1. Thanks for nothing. Now I'm wondering if they took this shot uh, during the ALCS. Uh, he's in Oakland, and the stands are absolutely packed. And there's a bunch of people on the warning track. I'm going to guess that this is uh, before the ALCS game. I'm yeah. I'm sleuthing, but I'm pretty sure that's what this is. I actually recall because of Strat. I recall uh, his '92 season where he went nine and one as a reliever, all as a reliever, two point one one ERA and 111 innings pitched. Yep, I bet you his nickname was not X Man that year. It was the Vulture. He was, he was, when he was on, he had no chance. Well, he was once traded for Andy Stankowitz, too. Oh, there's that. The Stanker. 
All right, so I've got four cards left, and I'm at 0.9. I'm positive, at least. Uh, next, we've got uh, uh, we've got a nasty boy, pre-nastiness. Here with the Mets, it is Randy Myers. Well, he's pictured pre-nasty. Uh, he might have been traded here during the 90s season. Oh, he was traded. Yeah, well, at least he was, uh, he was on the Reds in 1990. But the good news for me, he was an all-star this year. And he came in fifth in Cy Young voting and 17th in MVP voting. So I'm looking for big things. Record-wise, four and six, not that impressive. A 2.08 ERA, 66 games he appeared in, 31 saves, 86 and two-thirds innings, pitched 98 strikeouts, and a 193 ERA plus. And that is good for a war of 3.1, plus the All-Star will get me a 3.6. You scared yet with your 24.3? Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the, uh, you know, the big giant card. Do you remember when the Padres waiver claimed Myers? Uh, I do not. Yeah, they, they waiver claimed just basically to prevent a trade. Oh. And, and they, they had Trevor Hoffman at the time. And so they didn't want him to get dealt to the Braves, and they figured that the Blue Jays would rescind their waiver claim, but uh, they just let it, they let <laughs> it fly. Like, there you go. <laughs> Padres got the contract and the player. Randy, uh, a first-round draft pick by the Mets in 82 in the uh, secondary draft, apparently, uh, was traded by the Mets with Kip Gross for John Franco. <laughs> well, when they claimed him, Myers had $12 million in two years remaining on his contract. Yeah, I remember it because it was like a, no one ever let, like, it was, it was after the trade deadline, and they were going to make the deal, and then, you know, everybody always, well, we'll put a claim in for him, and that stops the trade. And they put a claim in. The Blue Jays went, sure. <laughs> Take him. He's yours. All right, so that brings me up to 4.5. I've got an exposed pitcher that is not El Presidente. And uh, your your response should always be, it's probably Bryn Smith. It's Bryn Smith. Bryn Smith. Well, you know if it's Bryn Smith that I've, I've, I've got the, the mustache. Right point right there. Not a two-tenths of a point, but it's, it's a good mustache regardless. Let's see. Uh, Bryn Smith, 13 years in the big leagues, nine with Montreal, three with St. Louis, one with Colorado to finish up. In 1990 with St. Louis, he went 9-8, and 4.27 ERA, 141 innings pitched, 78 strikeouts, and 89 ERA plus. And that is good for a war of minus 0.7. Ouch. He does have real stirrups in that mustache, so it'll it'll actually only be a minus point five. But I was rooting for you, Jeff. You bring some, you lose some, I guess. Hey <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm down to my final two cards. I am at four even, so I am only twenty point three behind you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next I have got an MVP card from the Pirates. It's Bobby Bonilla. Bobby. All right. Bobby Bo, 16 years in the big leagues, six with the Pirates, five with the Mets. Then just a whole bunch of teams that he bounced around with. 1990, good news for me, all-star year. Also led the league in sacrifice flies. Do I get something for that? Uh, you get a hearty handshake. Okay, well, that's worth 10 points. Uh, let's see, 160 games. He hit 280, 322 on base. 32 home runs, 120 RBI, and an OPS plus of 132. 
and that will get me a war of 4.0, even plus Ooh. the all-star, and he's got a mustache. That'll be a 4.6. So I've more than doubled my score with Bobby Bo. Of course, July 1 being Bobby Bonilla Day. You know, I think that's it's losing its, its luster because so many guys are getting that now. He was the one we referred to first, but yeah, there's a bunch now. Yeah, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. is still getting paid. Uh, a lot of those guys are. A lot of the guys that are signing contracts today are are deferring as well. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys. Uh, hey, did you know in 2001 with the Cardinals that uh, Bobby Bo pitched? I did not know that. It didn't go well. One inning pitch, three hits. He gave up a home run, too. Uh, two runs, uh, both of them earned. Uh, and he balked, apparently. Oh, man, Bobby. <laughs> Come on, Bobby. You know you got to know not to balk when you're on the mound there. Uh, okay, we've talked about Bobby plenty of times. I'm at 8.6. I'm at my final card. Oh, well, this is a good card. I'm not sure it's going to, you know, get me 14 points. But uh, here with the Rangers, it is uh, recording artist Ruben Sierra. Rube Benowitz. Got to like him. I think Ruben might hold the record for most albums put out while playing. <laughs> yes yeah one of those important records. how is he not in the hall of fame for that what's up with that i don't know but he he's in the album cover hall of fame for the one where he's leaning against the car and he's like, spraying water on himself or something it's it's a good one <laughs> let's see 20 years in the big leagues very nice he played up till he was 40 uh 10 years so half of his career was in texas five with the yankees four with oakland in 1990 with the Rangers, not an, it was sandwiched between all-star years, but no. 159 games, hit 280, 330 on base, 16 home runs, 96 RBA, 9 stolen bases, no caught stealing. That's good work. Wow. A 111 OPS plus, and that will equal a war of 1.6. Uh, he does have real stirrups, and he's got mustache here, so that'll be a 1.8. I'm not going to give you my total. Uh, it's not worth it. I'm not okay. close. You more than okay. doubled it. And uh, I want to forget this one. So congratulations. You are now up to 14. I, I literally said you were going to probably just run off seven in a row. And there's your first one. <laughs> well, you know, in, in a game of skill like this, um, people get streaky. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up this uh, a rendition of uh, Wax Packs Heroes. <clears throat> it's also going to wrap up this show and thank everybody once again for listening uh, if you want more of us you can find us all over the internet so all you have to do is really google two strike noise best place to reach us these days is on facebook uh, we're much more active there than we are on uh, the bird app check that maybe once or twice a week for now uh, so if you want to get a hold of us please check us out on facebook feel free to follow us and like us there as well uh, we're still getting our feet wet there in the old Facebook pool. We also have an email address that Mark likes to watch like a hawk that he wants to tell you about. I check it 70, 80 times a day, kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's two strike noise. I almost forgot what it was. Two strike noise. You got to spell it out using letters, no numbers, at gmail.com. Let me try that again. Two strike noise at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> Look in the show notes. I'll put it all there. You can get a hold of us many, many different ways. If you, if you just ask Mark, he'll give you his phone number too. 
Yeah, it's not a big deal, guys. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us. We will see you again on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.